Welcome back, everyone. It's your host, Holly, and today's episode is going to really highlight a topic that I think isn't talked about enough, and that topic is teen dating violence. Often when we think of domestic violence, we think of adults, but the shocking truth is teen dating violence is a very real thing. The American Psychology Association reported in October of last year that in the United States, up to 19% of teens experience sexual or physical dating violence, and about half faces stalking and harassment. As many as 65% reported being psychologically abused. It's said that in many cases, violence can happen when young people don't yet have the skills to manage conflict, cope with feelings of jealousy, and navigate rejection. The APA shines light on the fact that those challenges have intensified with the rise of social media. Many teens have their social interactions play out in public online spaces, adding feelings of shame and fear of judgment to the mix. And this is something that doesn't get much attention and is often overlooked. I'm happy to report that psychologists are finally shining a new light on this issue, with research being conducted on the risks and protective factors, as well as new approaches to prevent such things from happening. The biggest thing that we can do as adults is recognize these things so we can hopefully help our own children either cope with their feelings or help them out of unhealthy situations. I will say that this is a topic that I am invested in learning more about and will continue to do some of my own research for future episodes. But for now, I will include some links in the description of this episode to not only the statistics and research that is being done, but I will also add resources for yourself or anyone you know that may be experiencing intimate partner violence. If you're listening to this and you are in that situation, know that you are not alone. You're loved, you're cared about, and you don't deserve what you're being put through. There are many people out there that will help you and support you however they can. There is no shame and no judgment. If you're someone who is experiencing this and you don't know what to do, please feel free to reach out to me. Find me on Instagram at Crimeaholly and I will help you find the resources that you need for your area. So let's go ahead and get into the details of this case. Today's episode is on the murder of Samantha Heller. Samantha Nicole Heller was the youngest child and only daughter that Sandra McFalls had. She was described to be a spitfire of a young lady who was the life of the party. She was a social butterfly with a heart of gold. She always loved to make people happy. When they were down, Samantha would make it her mission to wipe their tears and make them laugh. She was just an all-around goofy, fun-loving girl who always had a smile on her face. No matter what, Sammy wanted to see the good in everyone and love them hard no matter their faults. At the age of 15, Sammy met an older boy named Benjamin Klinger. 
Right off the bat, their relationship was a whirlwind, and Sammy quickly fell in love with Ben. She was so excited to have him meet all of her friends and show off her new man. Her friend Paige says in an interview that Sammy was so excited for her to meet her new boyfriend. Paige, however, wasn't overly excited about the idea. She said that when she met Ben, that he just had a very dark personality that gave her chills. She felt extremely uncomfortable by his presence, and she felt like she couldn't even look him in the eye. Another one of her friends named Bina recalls a time when Sammy wanted her to hang out more around Ben and start a friendship with him. And we all know what that's like. We want our boyfriends or our spouses to get to know our friends so we all can hang out together. Now, this particular friend said that she was in the car with Ben and Sammy when they were going down the highway and Ben was driving at a terrifying speed. She spoke up asking if he could slow down and Sammy just kind of brushed it off and said that Ben was fine and he always drove that fast. As the relationship progressed, the more possessive Ben became and the more shut down Sammy started to become. Her bright and cheerful smile was happening less and less and it just seemed like she was hurting inside and someone was doling her shine. And that person was Benjamin Klinger. Sammy confided in her friend that Ben was beginning to treat her poorly. He would call her clingy and other foul names, and he even had her name saved in his phone as, quote, dumb bitch Heller. And her friends couldn't understand why she was still with him. And they asked her straight up about it, like, why are you with this guy who treats you so bad? And she would always reply that she loved him and he always apologized profusely and made big promises that he would be better. And that would always draw her back in. Obviously, this is abuse, and he manipulated Sammy to come back every single time by love-bombing her with affection and these I'm sorry's, but he never would change his behavior. And time and time again, Sammy was just sucked back into the cycle. And unfortunately, this is what abusers do. The tension starts to build, then the verbal or physical violence happens. They apologize, make plans to change, there's a calm time before the cycle starts all over again. Every time that Ben drew Sammy back in, a wedge between her mom and her friends grew. She started butting heads and pushing boundaries with her mom. She was arguing that she should be allowed to stay out late at night on school nights, and she just wasn't her normal self. Ben would even go to her mom and try to convince her that Sammy would be safe with him, that he would make sure that she did her homework, did what she needed to do, and get to school on time. But Sandra held strong and said no. Sammy was not going to stay late at his house or overnight with him. And the tension in the home continued to build. It was eventually discovered that Sammy had been giving her house key to Ben so that he could sneak in at night, spending the night over at her place. When Sandra found this out, she was livid. This caused a huge blow-up fight between Sammy and her mother and resulted in Sandra kicking Sammy out of the house, which, of course, she ended up running straight to Ben's house, where she stayed for several months. Friends say that this is where the relationship went from bad to worse. 
Sammy began showing up to school with bruises on her arms, and when asked if she was okay, she would simply say, quote, I will talk to you about it later, end quote. But she never did. One afternoon while Sammy was living with Ben Klinger, Sandra received a phone call saying that Sammy was at the hospital because Ben had ran her foot over with his car. And that was the last straw for Sandra. She was ready to get her daughter as far away from Ben as she possibly could. Things between Sandra and Sammy were still tense and their relationship still hadn't been healed. So instead of asking Sammy to come home, Sandra asked her to please leave Ben's house and go move in with her aunt, and Sammy willingly agreed. At this point, it felt like a major relief to know that Sammy wasn't going to be under Ben's constant control. There was a lot of hope that Sammy was beginning to see the light and that she was going to finally move on past this horrible person she had been dating. At this point, they had been together for a few years. Sammy settled in at her Aunt Leanne's house, and it wasn't long before Ben was showing up there and just sitting outside of the house. This made Sammy really antsy, and she just kept begging her aunt to please allow her to go outside and just talk to Ben. Aunt Leanne agreed to let her go outside and see what he wanted. Sammy went outside, climbed in the car to talk, and that is when he took off down the road with her inside. Not long after driving off, Sammy called her aunt terrified because she said Ben was driving way too fast. While on the phone, he told Sammy that if she didn't get off the effing phone, he would drive the car right off the road so she wouldn't have any relatives to ever talk to again. She hung up the phone and continued to plead with Ben to slow down and to stop. That night, she was able to talk Ben down and get him to cool off. After the two parted ways, Sammy broke things off with Ben and was ready to be done and to move on from this awful relationship. She agreed to move back home with her mom, and they started to rebuild their broken relationship. Sammy opened up to her mom about the abuse that she had been enduring at the hands of Benjamin Klinger. She told her mom that Ben was not only verbally and physically abusive towards her, but he had also recorded and took pictures of them while they had sex and then shared it with his friends. Mind you, at this point, Sammy was just 17 years old, so she is still a minor and this is illegal. This was devastating for Sandra to hear how her baby was not only being treated physically, but being sexually exploited. And this is when Sandra just completely had enough. She decided that she was going to press charges against him for not only the distribution of these pictures and videos, but also for running over Sammy's foot. For an entire six months while those charges were pending, things started to go back to normal for Sammy, and Ben stayed away. The light in Sammy's eyes was starting to come back, relationships were being mended, and she was returning to her happy and bubbly self. But even after six months apart, Ben was able to snake his way back in and cause Sammy a lot of guilt. She told her mom that Ben had reached out and was making her feel guilty over those charges that had been filed against him. The biggest charge that he was worried about was the charge of him sending the nude photos of her out. 
Due to her being underage, if he was found guilty, he would be required to register as a sex offender, and he was not about that. He guilted her so hard about that that eventually he got Sammy to sign a paper stating that she no longer wanted to press charges against Ben. Then, just days before her death, Sammy had a change of heart again. She went into the district attorney's office and told them that she does want to go forward with pressing charges and that whatever Ben had her sign, she felt like she was forced and intimidated into signing it. She stated that she didn't even really know what it was, but she felt pressured to do so. She did, however, tell the DA that she didn't want him to necessarily serve jail time, but she wanted something done. Sammy had written out all of the things that she wanted down on a piece of paper, and it included that he pay restitution, he go to drug and alcohol therapy, regular therapy, anger management classes, and more. Also included on the note was that she wanted child support because she believed that she was pregnant with his child. She had told her friend Paige that during their separation that she and Ben had seen each other and had been intimate, and Paige was completely upset. She was so mad at her friend because she wanted the absolute best for her, and yet she kept going back to this abusive monster. Paige told Sammy that she couldn't do this anymore. She couldn't sit back and watch Sammy keep going and being drawn back into someone like Ben. So she was going to cut things off and distance herself from Sammy. Sadly, this was the last time that Paige ever talked to her friend. And my heart completely breaks for both Sammy and Paige. Paige just wanted Sammy to be happy and in a healthy relationship. She couldn't stand seeing her friend being put down and repeatedly abused by this guy. And I completely understand where she's coming from. That's a really hard situation to be in, and it's a very hopeless feeling to watch someone you love be mistreated. Paige just wanted the best for Sammy and knew that Ben wasn't it. The day before Sammy was murdered, she went to Planned Parenthood and then told her mom that she was going to be spending the night at a friend's house. But she didn't go to a friend's house. She went to Ben's. At 2 a.m. on December 4th, Lancaster County 911 received a call from a truck driver who had said that he witnessed a Toyota sedan fly off Interstate 283 and hit a guardrail at top speed. The entire passenger side had been completely mangled, and yet in the background of this 911 call, you can hear Samantha Heller screaming for her life. She had somehow made it through this horrendous accident alive. The dispatcher tells the man on the phone to not move any of the injured people and that the first responders were on their way. Now, I just kind of want to lay out what this truck driver was seeing, and this was detailed by the district attorney on this case, but what was going on was that Sammy was lying half out of the car, face down in the grass, so when the car crashed, Sammy was kind of able to, despite her very severe broken bones and injuries that she had, she was able to kind of crawl out of the car. Benjamin Klinger was essentially sitting on Samantha's head. In the 911 call, the man states that there are two occupants of the car. One was a girl who was screaming, but she no longer is screaming, and he assumes that she is unconscious. 
When the first responders arrive on scene, they pronounced Sammy dead. Ben was taken to the hospital where he was later questioned about the accident. He stated that he didn't really remember anything, but it was all an accident and that he had been ejected from the car. And somehow when he was ejected out the passenger side, he happened to land his butt on Sammy's head, which this ultimately led to Sammy being smothered to death. Obviously, traffic accident investigators were brought in to analyze the scene, and between what they found and the witnesses who saw the crash, Ben didn't try and break the car at all. This wasn't a situation where his brakes failed and he lost control. He didn't break or try to break at all before crashing into that guardrail. It was found that Ben was driving over 110 miles per hour when he collided with that guardrail. Police also found Sammy's handwritten note of all of the things that she told the DA she wanted inside her purse at the scene of the crime. They also interviewed another person who stopped off at the scene of the crash, and this witness stated that she could hear Samantha screaming, and while she was screaming, she was telling Ben to get off of her multiple times while she frantically kicked her legs. Later that morning on December 4th, before Sandra even learned of her daughter's fate, she woke up and grabbed her phone and saw that she had a text message from Sammy that she received after she was already asleep for the night. Sammy had texted her and said, I love you, mama. When Sandra saw that, she texted her back saying, I love you too, and when are you coming home? Not knowing that Sammy was already gone. Not long after getting up for the day, Sandra received a knock on the door and police there telling her that there had been a tragic accident. The moment that the police mentioned that Ben had been the driver of that car that Samantha was in, Sandra broke down saying that this was no accident, that Ben had murdered her daughter. And this was an accusation that the police took very seriously especially when the pathologist determined that Sammy's cause of death was from multiple traumatic injuries and asphyxia. And it also stated that the manner of death was homicide. It was also discovered that Sammy wasn't pregnant after all. Quickly, the news of Sammy's death spread, and when friends learned that this was a car accident with Ben behind the wheel, they all knew this wasn't an accident. Ben had done what he had threatened to do many times and drove right off the road, killing her. It wasn't long before investigators were getting bombarded with calls from people who knew Sammy and they all had the same thing to say. That Benjamin Klinger was a murderer and that he had made it his mission to make Sammy's life a living hell. He treated her poorly, made her feel worthless, and completely controlled every aspect of her life. Ben tried desperately to cover his tracks and make this seem like a complete accident, and he tried doing that right off the bat. While in the hospital, he told a nurse, quote, I feel guilty. I told her that she could lie down in the back seat without a seatbelt on, and she was pregnant with my child. Now she's dead, end quote. Through their investigation of the accident, they could tell that Ben was completely lying. On the windshield on the passenger side, you could see where Sammy's head made impact with it. They also knew that he was lying about being ejected from the driver's seat and onto Sammy. 
Ben had his seatbelt on, and they know this because he had a bruising from the seatbelt. But just because he had that on doesn't mean that you can't still be ejected. But if he had been ejected, there would have been damage to the seatbelt. It would have been torn or shredded or even ripped completely out of the casing. There was absolutely no damage done to the seatbelt that would have been consistent with him being ejected. Additionally, the traffic accident investigator said it was impossible for him to have hit the guardrail at the angle that it was, be ejected 90 degrees to his right and out the passenger side, and land on top of Sammy the way he was claiming it happened. It was physically impossible. So they came to the conclusion that Ben had to have gotten into the accident, unbuckled, got out, and then walked around to the other side of the car and sit on Sammy's head. Sammy was trying to crawl out of that car, trying to get away from the car when he plopped down on her head, suffocating her to death. And what a painful and horrifying way to die. Sammy knew what was happening as it happened. The fear she must have felt. After weeks of investigating, authorities finally arrested and charged Ben with criminal homicide. In an interview, when asked, District Attorney Craig Stedman said the motive behind this homicide was multiple things. It was the unwanted pregnancy that Ben thought was happening. It was the charges she was pressing against him. And they also uncovered a third reason. They discovered that Ben had another girl that he was seeing and dating, and while in the hospital, he was overheard telling her something along the lines of, quote, well, now that she's gone, we don't have to worry about her getting in between you and I in the future, end quote. Now, the DA thought that they could easily get a first-degree murder conviction out of this. They felt that they had enough evidence. They had a history of him making threats to her life, including threatening to drive off the road just like he did. But with a first-degree murder trial, the victim's families have to sit through all of those in-depth, heavy, heavy details. And that can be absolutely horrific and traumatizing for families to endure. Sammy's family was consulted, obviously, prior to making any kind of deals, and they agreed that they were too heartbroken, too tired to have to endure a grueling murder trial like that. So instead, the district attorney and the defense attorney worked out a deal where they wouldn't have to go to trial at all. And instead, Benjamin Klinger would plead guilty to third-degree murder with a minimum sentence of close to 30 years and a max of 56 years. Also a part of his deal, Ben was required to plead guilty to some of those other charges, which included the charge of him sending those explicit photos of his underage girlfriend. On August 29, 2014, Ben went in front of a judge and pled guilty. He was allowed to make a statement, and he said, quote, I accept full responsibility for the loss of a very special person. I want you to know with all of my heart, I am sorry. I am really sorry, end quote. After he was finished, Judge Margaret Miller had her own words for Ben. She said, quote, Today is the first day I've seen any degree of humanity or emotions in you. There is no doubt in my mind you lived your life with a callousness, arrogance, and cowardliness because being a bully is a coward. 
end quote. After court wrapped up, Ben was taken away to begin his sentence at the State Correctional Institute in Albion, Pennsylvania. Sammy's family was able to breathe a sigh of relief knowing that justice was served and that he would be in prison for a very long time. However, nearly four years into his sentence, Benjamin Klinger filed an appeal to have his plea overturned, stating that he actually wasn't guilty and didn't do the things that he originally pled guilty to. Ben claimed that his attorney gave him bad advice and did not fully investigate potential defenses. On November 7, 2017, Fox 43 reported that Lancaster County Judge Margaret Miller denied his request to withdraw his guilty plea and denied his request for a trial. She said that there was no merit to Ben's claims. She also said, quote, while the harsh reality of Klinger's lengthy sentence may have finally set in, such reality fails to negate the fact that on August 29, 2014, Klinger stood before this court fully versed in the fact of his case and the charges against him and entered a knowing and voluntary plea of guilty. Klinger's current displeasure with his sentence or hindsight regret of his decisions cannot change this. End quote. I'm glad that she upheld his plea because having to put Sammy's family through a trial just would have been so brutal and so hard on them. Now, Crime Watch Daily was able to interview Ben over the phone, and I'm just going to kind of go over a little bit of what he said. The first thing he stated was, quote, I fully take responsibility for the passing of Samantha Heller, end quote. However, when interviewed, Ben completely denies the fact that it was murder at all. He said that he believes he's at fault for only driving in an unsafe manner that took her life. Ben said that if he could do it over, he would have gone to trial so that he could tell his side of the story. He states that all of the stories about the abuse that Samantha endured were only stories, nothing more. He continues to say that in all of the pictures of him with Sammy, you could tell that she was not afraid of him and that she wasn't scared of the relationship. And here is where Ben completely pisses me off. He shifts blame onto Sammy, saying that she loved attention and loved getting sympathy from other people and that she knew that the best way to get attention and sympathy was by telling stories and making things up about him and their relationship. Which honestly, that is such a slap in the face to this young lady who lost her life. What an ugly thing to say. Now, when asked about the phone call that Sammy made to her aunt when he was racing down the road and he told her to get off the phone or he will run the car off the road, Ben says, quote, I never said that. Nope, that's just an, an absolute falsehood. I would never want to take her away from her family. I would never hurt her. No, that claim is absolutely false. End quote. When asked about the accident and that night, he says, quote, I can't tell you specifically because I don't remember the accident or hours and hours leading up to it. End quote. He continues to say, quote, I had such a severe concussion. You know, the doctor at the hospital told my family that, you know, they don't they wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if I never remember anything, Um, you know, because of the severity of the concussion. I don't remember hours before and the days after, end quote. And I just want to say how very convenient 
He claims that he doesn't know how or why Sammy was in the car that night, nor does he know how that handwritten list of demands ended up in the car either. And he also denies ever having been mad over at her requesting child support because he's a quote-unquote family-oriented man, and it would have been no problem for him to pay her. Crime Watch Daily also asked him about the things that he said while in the hospital to his other girlfriend about Samantha not being between them anymore, and he said, quote, with the head trauma and concussion and medications that I was on, from just being in the car accident myself, I don't remember hardly anything of that time period. I can't verify that I said that. I've seen the court documents, I've seen the quotes, but that doesn't sound like my character, end quote. He also can't explain why he ever said that he was ejected, and he pretty much chalks it up to him being confused and disoriented from the accident and that he doesn't remember any of it. And again, all of this is just too easy and too convenient of an explanation. If this, in fact, is true, why in the hell would you have ever taken that plea deal and plead guilty? And they asked him that. Crime Watch Daily actually asked him that. And he stated that he was guilty of taking Samantha's life in that car accident. That's the only thing he's guilty of, was taking her life in an awful accident, but not in a malicious way that they have portrayed. Ben Klinger still holds on to the fact that he believes his attorney was ineffective and that his attorney guided him towards that guilty plea. Ben even goes as far as saying that his attorney coerced him into it. As I stated, the appeal was denied, but Ben plans to continue trying to fight this. The district attorney stated that if it does get overturned and they do go to trial, that he is ready to fight this. He believes if that's the case, he could get that first-degree murder conviction and Ben given a life sentence instead of the 28 to 56 years that he got. Sammy's mom and her entire family also said that they're willing to fight it. They will not give up and they will not back down. Sammy's family has had over 10 years to heal from their tragic loss. And though you can never completely heal from losing someone like that, you can become stronger and stronger they all are. And they are ready and waiting for a fight if it were ever to come to that, which I truly hope it never does. Samantha Heller was a senior in high school at J.P. McCaskey High, and she also attended the Lancaster County Technology Center. She enjoyed playing softball, field hockey, and being around her friends. She loved horses and being around motorcycles and riding. She was a daughter, a sister, a granddaughter, a niece, a friend, and she had just became an auntie to two little girls. She had so many hopes and dreams that were stripped away from her. She had so much life left to live. I just want to say again that if you or anyone you know is struggling with domestic abuse, you can call the Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. I also will have resources available in the description of this episode. Please seek help and know that you are not alone in this. Thank you all so much for listening to Samantha's story. If you're not already a part of my private Facebook group, you can find it by searching Crime with Holly podcast discussion group. In there, I will share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that I cover, and I also encourage all of the members to share all things true crime. You can also follow me on Instagram at Crimeaholly. And if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at crimewithholly.podcast. 
That is all that I have for this week's episode. Until next time, be aware and take care.